Have a good time. Thank you. All right. Welcome to today's episode of In the Know with Cat Bobino. Today I have an extra special guest. It is Dr. Stephanie Page. You might know her from Black and STEM, as well as the work she's doing on yeast pharmacology. So, welcome to Into Know, Dr. Page. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful. I'm actually just getting in from lab, so you've got me like all garbed up in my <laughs> in my lab wear. That's perfect. So. That's perfect. So, since we're on the subject of work and your lab work, how about you let us know what you do? So, um I've just started my postdoc at the University of North Carolina, which is also where I earned my PhD. But I have switched fields. I used to work on microbial signal transduction. So in a nutshell, under, understanding how messages are conveyed or transferred inside the cells of bacteria. Um, and I've switched fields to think in a more systems-based um, uh, realm of questions and hypotheses. And so I used yeast, I use yeast to understand how we detect and respond to changes to nutrients in our environment. So yeast is sort of a really good model to understand how things work in humans because yeast have a lot of the same parts. So I'm kind of um, still in transition, um, doing a lot of new work and, and doing it from the perspective of biophysics and biochemistry and trying to do a bunch of new things that haven't been done before and, and just doing more to you know, increase our knowledge on, on these very important systems. Well, that is very interesting. And I don't think a lot of people know that much about yeast. I think they know that it is something you see in bread, you know, or something that you might use. Um, yeah, beer, a so. lot of people know yeast from beer, right. um, which is really interesting. A lot of the, the story about nutrient sensing in yeast actually developed a lot around beer. And if you're a beer producer, you want really consistent batches. Mm -hmm. And so you want to understand the yeast. You want to know what they like in order to create certain flavors and certain notes. Um, so it's really funny to kind of, you know, when people think about like, well, I know beer or I know bread. and But a lot of that is, is has been a part of what's made yeast interesting to study. Um, but because it's a eukaryotic organism, um, and because it has a lot of the same parts that we have in ourselves as humans, it makes for a great model organism to use to study really important questions about human health. So you said something very interesting, which I want to uh, talk a little bit more about. Is you carry it. I can never say the word, but uh, <laughs> you carry it. That's so wrong. But uh, you know what I'm trying to say. It is not. Um, an organism that lacks what we are experiencing. So can you explain that more? I know I'm saying the word wrong so bad. So sorry. No, no. Um, I get tongue-tied all the time. And especially <laughs> after a really long day, I get very, very tongue-tied. But when we think about prokaryotic versus eukaryotic organisms, um, and so prokaryotic, you think of bacteria. One big bacteria people know is E. coli. And, you know, it doesn't have a true nucleus, right? But it still contains DNA and it still 
a living thing. It eat. It it has to eat. It has to get rid of its waste. It replicates. Um, eukaryotic organisms are typically identified by having a true nucleus. And what's interesting about what we call these higher order organisms is that from the perspective of scientific research, um, it's really difficult to, to do a lot of research in humans. Mm -hmm. um, we value human life. Um, we also need statistically relevant um, populations to work with, and it's easier to do that with cells or with smaller organisms that we can grow in a laboratory environment. And, you know, we, we like to have replicates of data and things like that. And so there's this wide breadth of kind of reasons why being a part or a collective of eukaryotic organisms um, benefits us because we don't necessarily always have to use ourselves to really push the, the scientific knowledge about these systems that are actually really fundamental to life. Mm -hmm. um, we can do it in yeast and I can grow up billions of cells and do experiments on those cells where I can't do a lot on, for example, one human. is <laughs> um, one way that I like to talk about it, but it really, um, just in and of itself, you know, there are so many different model organisms that we use. I'm, of course, partially yeast, but it does help advance our knowledge, and it really does enhance our quality of life as human beings. So that is awesome. And um, yeast is a small cell. I'm sorry, it's a small cellular being that we can use that is very similar to humans, especially human cells, and we can learn a lot of information. So. What made you get interested in that particular organic system to study? Um, interestingly, um, as I was finishing my PhD, I began to sit down and think about, you know, what are the types of questions I want to ask? So I was working on pathways that are, or a class of pathways, I'll say. So there are different ways that living things signal inside of their inside of themselves so inside of a single cell mm -hmm. and I was working on a specific class of pathways and I was working on a specific component in those pathways and I was applying mostly biochemistry but also some biophysics to understand like some fundamentals about chemical reactions and some of the physics that was happening um, in terms of the function of those components mm -hmm. and I wanted to think bigger I love thinking on the scale of mechanisms, but I wanted to think about collections of components instead of just one component. And I wanted to think of collections of pathways instead of just one pathway. And so that's sort of um, what I do now. And the reason that I bridged into yeast is because, one, I, I made a clear decision that I wanted to step outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I have been very used to E. coli and I've done a lot with E. coli and I came up in this wonderful lineage of E. coli scientists and I, I wanted to get outside of my comfort zone but I still wanted to do biophysics I still wanted to do biochemistry and I had this really distinct question that I wanted to ask and that question kind of came from my own experiences in my personal life with family members who had cancer 
And this question had a lot to do with how are cancer cells able to escape um, or not necessarily escape, I would say desensitize or to chemotherapy or survive in, under circumstances where there's limited nutrient sources. And so I had all of these questions in my head and I began to think about, you know, what were some small, more specific questions I could ask. Mm-hmm. I kind of came across yeast as being a really great system to work in. And it just ended up being happenstance that another part of choosing a postdoc or any lab that you work in is the environment. And it's the person mm-hmm. who's going to be mostly uh, responsible for guiding you. And it just so happened that of all the people who I was considering, the person who I felt was the best match for me was the East guy. Um, and so it, it's part kind of wanting to branch out and wanting to do a lot more and getting closer to um, problems that directly impact human health. Um, mm-hmm. It was wanting to look more at some specific questions that I was interested in, given my personal experiences. And then it was, wow, this relationship looks like it could really work out for me. So that's how I ended up in yeast. Okay. Well, that that is a pathway, definitely, to getting to where you wanted to go. And so starting with E. coli, you're still using a single-cell organism, but instead of bacteria, now we're using yeast. Yeast, yeah. And uh, so where exactly are you doing your postdoc now? Yeah, so I'm at the University of North Carolina okay. in the Department of Pharmacology. I decided, you know, being a mom and having a grade school-aged child, um, I decided I wanted to stay at the same university. And again, that goes to also um, finding a mentor who I felt I had a good connection with. Um, But believe it or not, it's been been wild. It's a very different world. Um, Even though I just kind of moved across the street in a sense, (laughs) it's a very, very different world. Okay, so um, you brought up a good topic that um, I think we should dive into for people who might be interested or unaware, but how well or how did you navigate your PhD program being a mother? Um, It really does, it it takes a support system, and I say that both for myself and my son. Um, He was one when I started, and you know, it's still something that kind of, I get choked up when I think about it because, um, you know, my family was very supportive of me, but there were just a lot of people there who were providing a lot of love for him too. And in the times when, you know, he's, he's been a motivation and a source of inspiration beyond like what I could even say. And I know it's really easy for people to immediately think, oh my gosh, it had to be so hard. Yes, it was hard. Um, The first two years, I averaged probably two to three hours of sleep a night. Um, If not less, because these were also his toddler years. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like when things went rough in lab, I always had a reason to go back. Right. You know, I wasn't going back because... (laughs) My experiment was working out. I was going back because I wanted to be able to walk across that stage and, you know, hold that piece of paper in front of my son and say, we did it. Aww. So it's, you know, it definitely takes a support system. Um, 
my family was amazing. My son was phenomenal. He was just wonderful. He is this tiny scientist kid. Um, and, and at the same time, I still got to be his mom. And part of my being able to do that was having the right kind of mentor. Mentor, mentor, mentor is a big thing for me. Um, I was in a family-oriented lab. If my son was sick and I needed to leave and go pick him up, there was zero question. Um, there That's was awesome. no pushback. If, you know, if I called in because he was sick or because I needed to volunteer at his school or, you know, things like that, there was never an issue. And that made a big difference. I, I was very rarely, particularly with my research mentor, anxious about the times I needed to be out of lab for my little boy. Um, and I think the other thing is just perseverance. I think being a mom, it, it kind of teaches you something about perseverance, and it matches well with being a graduate student. Um, and, and, you know, you just, you're not just working and doing for yourself. Right. Part of my graduate school purpose was also providing a living for us and, and keeping a roof over my head and, and you know this was how I was working to provide so you know in and of itself it kind of all was interwoven mm-hmm. um, and yeah I just I'm gonna say it again my son was phenomenal he was just amazing um, there were times when you know he would just sit right beside me and he had no idea what I was doing but I wasn't reading books to him I was reading scientific papers (laughs) and he would just sit there and listen and enjoy and coo and and as he got older um to him it was this wonderful thing to have a mom who is a scientist and so it just I think that's wonderful it was very very (laughs) difficult but at the same time I just had a different level of motivation and inspiration all along the way and you know can't say enough about the black and STEM community particularly Mm -hmm. when I was finishing those last couple of years year and a half Um, and even before that there was this online community of science communicators who were great supporters Um, at my institution IMSD the initiative for maximizing student diversity was an amazing source And I'll say that um, because it was made up of people who had done this before, they could offer a different kind of support than my family. Um, Okay. But mm -hmm. But also, I will also send a shout out to to like professional organizations, the the various professional organizations that I belong to are also very, very supportive. Okay. Do you want to actually shout them out and say their names? Um, So... I, and, and professional organizations are big. Um, we'll probably have a Black and STEM chat about them, but um, I belong to the American Society for Biochemistry and Microbiology, the Biophysical Society, and um, the American Society for Microbiology, and the American Chemical Society. Um, those four, I mean, they just put me in contact with people who were just amazing, to say the least. Um, and then within the tiny community of, um, within my discipline, there was a smaller community of people, um, just in bacterial locomotion and signal transduction who were just, they were great. I mean, all throughout my graduate career, they were just 
sending emails and just like, how are things going? You know, let us know, you know, if you need anything. And, you know, so all of those things make a big difference. That is awesome. Okay. I'm glad that you had that support system. I think it's very important for people to realize that, you know, this track of going to get your PhD or going to get a terminal degree is not one that is done alone. That you definitely need people in your corner. You need mentors who are going to support you. Like, being able to do something of this magnitude definitely needs a support system. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm an HBCU grad. I have to say that. <laughs> um, and it that comes with a lot of different things. And I'm never one. Like, I don't like the competitive conversations about, like, what's better but all I know is if I got missing, my advisors from A&T would come find me. <laughs> I and went to an HBCU, and if I had gone missing, yeah, they would yeah. come find me One as well. One of my advisors, Kate, she showed up on campus because I think maybe a year had passed since we had spoken. And she was my master's advisor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was kind of there during the time that I actually had my son, and she helped me. Um, a lot kind of find myself as a researcher and find that confidence to apply and to go for one of the top institutions in the world for what I do. Mm -hmm. Man, one day she called me and she was like, I am downstairs. <laughs> and, you know, it, it just, to me, she, I mean, it was the perfect day. I was having an awful day. I felt very lonely that day and very isolated that day. Um, which happens, uh, mm -hmm. particularly for women and underrepresented minorities in sciences. You have those days. And, I mean, she she came. She came and found me. And, you know, just knowing that I was loved that much, um, that for her, our connection went beyond just being my advisor and my professor. Um, you know, you can't, I don't know how, I don't know many other places you could find that. So it's. You know, being an HBCU grad for me was just—it's something I'm very, very proud of. Yes, I—I too have gone to an HBCU and a PWI, and I will say that, you know, at an HBCU, multiple people are going to come looking for you, multiple yeah. people, and at a PWI, uh, which is a predominantly white institution, by the way you might have your advisor looking for you. Now, my advisor at my PWI is great, and mm -hmm. she would come find me if necessary, but I know that yeah. sometimes it's hard to find people like that at a PWI. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, not a lot of people can say, you know, come by the house, I'm making some pork chops and some <laughs> You know, come yes. get you some soul food and come sit down and relax and, right. you know... <laughs> no, it's not too many. It's gonna say we're barbecuing on right. Saturday. We expect you at the house. Right. Don't bring anything. Like right. <laughs> you, are, you are in school. Don't bring anything like that. <laughs> oh, right. I've had those experiences. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful <laughs> thing. And so I want to touch base on uh, what you started, which is Black and STEM. And so, could you elaborate on that and tell the audience? if they don't know already, which they should, what Black and STEM is? Um, yeah, the biggest thing that Black and STEM is is a community. Um, it started on Twitter. It's bled into other social media spaces. Um, I have to say that it really was born out of the inspiration that I had in sort of 
you know, being a mom at the same time that I was a graduate student, it limited my ability to go to all the socials or to go to this meeting and that meeting and to participate in, for example, the Black Graduate and Professional Student Association. Mm-hmm. And I had a desire to really connect more. And so there was this inspiration that I had from what was going on with IMSD on my campus, um, which mm-hmm. is really geared toward like connecting those underrepresented minorities to each other and to resources on campus. Right. Um, so it was born out of that. And it was born out of the fact that there were times when I would be up really late um, because, you know, I would typically start my reading and my work after my son went to bed and I would drift on Twitter and I would, you know, I was slowly starting to find more scientists, more people like me. Mm-hmm. And I saw people like, um, her Twitter handle is Dim of the Ocean. I feel bad that I cannot say her name off the top of my head. Um, Danielle Lee, mm-hmm. Rachel Burke, like, Dr. Rubidium, Rubidium on Twitter, mm-hmm. and you know, I and I was seeing a couple people. I was seeing what was happening with Black Girl Nerds, and I was just like, "There's something happening around Twitter." Right. You know, I was seeing what Don Gibson was doing with with Blurds and the Blur Chats, and all I did to start Black and STEM was just say, "Who's out there? Where are we? Where are?" these black STEM professionals. Right. And that's how it got started. And I thought maybe, maybe 60 people might chime in, but then we trended. You know, so many people responded and the conversations just started to pop and we were trending and like Mm -hmm. different um, media outlets were contacting me. And then like, what was really great was even as it got bigger and bigger, I saw these relationships build mm-hmm. and people were being supportive and encouraging of each other. And people were saying like, Oh, you're here. I'm only an hour away. Like, let's connect. Let's make sure you've got someone to interact with and to talk to and to have a support. So it really kind of blossoms. And, um, we've tried to, to use the space. And I say we, because I think it's definitely something that, because it's it's happened around social media, people can kind of use it for lots of different reasons. So if you hear about a job, mm-hmm. you know, you post about that job. If someone is looking for people who want to share more of, of their story, um, they use Black and STEM to do that. Right. If, you know, uh, this weekend, um, I don't know when this will air, but this weekend, the, the weekend of August 20th, um, the University System of Maryland um, led by Renetta Toll, is holding the Summer um, Success Institute, which basically gives postdocs and graduate students and professionals and undergrads just all of this access to network and knowledge, just on the basis of migrating through, you know, your desired trajectory. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like using it to really connect people but at the same time get the word out about different things that are going on and get the word out about things that are important to us and that matter to us and um, and I definitely have to say like Jedida Eiler and Vanguard STEM and what they did um, with this recent burnout series 
um, and we were able to do like a little collaboration with Black and STEM. Yeah. Um, that was to me like phenomenal because immediately you had people just sharing their experiences and, and providing a source of support on their experiences. And, you know, I say little collaboration because I hope that, you know, it grows and that people are able to tap into these resources more because it is difficult um, at times because we're sometimes the only or one of few in different spaces. And, you know, this series just spoke to me on so many levels. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens in jails around Black and STEM. That's awesome. And I believe that is how we met was on Black and STEM. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's it's funny because um I remember like in the no show popping up and I was like, what is this? Because and the biggest thing for me was I need my son to see this. <laughs> because you know, I, I would go into his school and I would volunteer sometimes and the moment that these kids would know, like, here's this black woman mm -hmm. and she's a scientist. Mm -hmm. She's this like I'm a girl and she's a girl and she's a scientist. Right. Um I began to really have these experiences where I understood just the weight of our getting our faces and our stories out there. Right. Yeah, and I mean that like when the first time in the no show popped up on one of my timelines. I was like, I need to get this to my son. I need to get this to his classroom, you know, so that these kids can see just so much more of what's out there because man, you know, I've talked to children and even like high school and, and college undergrads who, when you say scientists, they have no real notion of what that looks like for them what that means for them they have no idea like all the things that are possible right so yeah this kind of like this your show and your work and what you're doing like it just hit a chord for me like a really strong chord thank you thank you yeah i, I started it mostly because um when i would say i'm a scientist or i'm a biologist you know i not just not just children but adults will say well you don't look like a scientist Yep. And, you know, it's like, well, well, what does a scientist look like then? Like, there, there's no cookie cutter version of a scientist. You could be white, black, Asian, brown, you know, you could be green for all I care. If you have an interest in it and you're doing yeah. it, you know, why do we have this cookie cutter thing? And it surprised me, like I said, that adults were doing the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think. When I tell people it, that some of the worst comments I've gotten, and, you know, kids are really honest, <laughs> but some of the worst comments I've gotten have been from adults. They're just, you're a what? You're a who? Like, how did that happen? And, you know, it's just this moment where in my brain I'm trying to, like, calculate what their intent is behind asking those types of questions mm -hmm. at the same time wanting to respond in a way that hopefully they can learn <laughs> and understand something different right um because i realize not everyone's intentions are bad but no. you know for some people it just it's really beyond their scope to say 
someone who looks like me right. to be a scientist. Right. And and it, it bothers me, especially with um, young girls in, like, middle school. I'm seeing them in middle school with weaves and fake eyelashes and fake nails. And they want to be an entertainer. They want to be on reality television. And yeah. that's pretty much the number one image they'll see of a black woman when it comes to media is someone who's, you know, lots of makeup, lots of fake stuff on and around their bodies. And, you know, and I'm not trying to hate on them, you know, live your life, but I do think we should have more than one image of a black woman doing something. Yeah. And 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 I think we have to, you know, to your point, it's like, I have that friend who is brilliant and I'm pushing for her to do your show one time because she's absolutely brilliant but she's very much that that type of person mm-hmm. she has to have her nails done she has to have her hair done right when she gets up and she goes out the house she is put together <laughs> that kind of woman that kind of girl can grow up to be a scientist right Absolutely. And then, but then someone like me, who's kind of like, I love fashion and clothes, but I also love my comic books and stuff. And I, you know, I like being outside and I like, you know, doing all different kinds of really new things. I can be a scientist and, and there's no, right. like you said, there's no mold and there's no cookie cutter. Mm-mm. Like God, it does. It, it hurts my heart sometimes to get into a space where I see a little girl and I say, well, what do you want to be? Mm-hmm. You, you know, and she says, I want to be dancer, entertainer, singer, blah, blah, blah. That's great. That's all fine and well. But then when I began to ask questions about, well, what are some things you're curious about? And she began, like, I had one little girl who just began to talk about, like, when she walks outside at night, she looks up at the stars. Mm. And, you know, and so for me, it was, if you want to be this singer and you want to be this entertainer, you can, but you can also know what the stars, right? like what these stars are, what are they made of? What are they doing? And vice versa, you can be an astrophysicist and understand so much about the universe and what's happening, but still be interested in, you know, entertainment and singing. I mean, you know, someone posted on Black and STEM the other day she's a scientist and she just published her first book nice and it's a fiction novel you know and you know i i like to read my comic books and i like to paint and there are all these other things that i love to do i like writing poetry i like you know crafting and so there's nothing that excludes you from being able to do this there's no interest nothing at all you know, you, no, you can, no place you that can, you come from. Right. You can do science, tech, engineering, math, as well as sing, dance, play sports, you know, be an entertainer. There is no give or take. You can be either one you want to be or be both, you know. Yeah. But I just think that sometimes we need more images of either someone doing both or someone who is in STEM. Yeah, but I mean, period, point blank, we need more diverse pictures of black women, period. True. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm honestly tired of the one note, like you said. I'm tired of that one note, this is all that's out there of us. Right. We, I mean, in and of ourselves, like, I, I use this example a lot 
particularly when I'm talking to organizations who want to come to me to have like a conversation about diversity and then run with everything I say, mm-hmm. I'm like, you can line up 25 different black women and we're not going to answer every single question you pose to us the same way. Right. We're not going to dress the same way. We're not going to wear our hair the same way. We're not going to have the same skin tone. We're not going to come from the same places. And, you know, I just wish we could do more to honor our individuality mm-hmm. at the same time as introducing, right? Like you said, like, this is this is out there for you. You know, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've come in front of young girls who didn't understand that Yes, there are people who go into to go out in nature and they take swabs and they look for the living things that are in the grass under our feet. Right. So just little girls have just been interested in like when I walk around, are there living things under my feet? Like what's there? What are they doing? You know, how are they helping the grass grow and the trees grow? We need to present a diverse picture. Yes. Yes, of black we women do. And who we are. And, and what we're capable of and what we're doing each and every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're almost out of time. Is there any last point that you want to give to the audience? Um, no, I, I just, I'm really honored to be here. And, you know, please join in anytime. Hashtag Black and STEM. Um, there's also a Twitter account at Black and STEM. My Twitter is at the purple page. And, you know, I just, I, I have to once again shout out my favorite HBCU where I earned my bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and my master's degree in biology, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Awesome. <laughs> um, and, and also, you know, my, my environment and my cohort at the University of North Carolina, just, you know, a lot has kind of gelled around me to bring me to the point, to the place that I am can't say enough about having those support systems can't say enough about my family and my awesome awesome little boy um so yes thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for doing this oh no problem thank you dr page and to my audience i want to say thank you again for tuning in to another episode of in the know with cat bobino and since dr page decides she wanted to shout out her hbcu i'm gonna go ahead and shout out stillman college went there and got my bachelor's in biology and so we want to hear from you please send me a message hope you enjoyed the show and until next time thank you